all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. We are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscarsity Podcast, where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong. What film are we watching this week, Zach? This week, we're watching The Producers, a saucy and controversial satire about a couple of fellas who try to get rich by producing a Broadway flop. Ooh, this is everybody's first time seeing The Producers. Not even close. Amazingly, it's only my second time, but mm. no, so, not quite. Absolutely not for me, and I don't know how many times I've watched this movie. Um, anybody remember the first time they did see The Producers? Kinda. It was on your couch. Ooh. That's, that's, you were like, I'm, you've never seen The Producers. The original I said, no, I had not. And you're like, well, I guess that's what we're going to do. And I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and my first, really enjoyed it. My first time was in high school. No, so I haven't watched it since high school. Mm. I don't remember the exact year, but I, I think I just watched it at home. Um, then I saw the remake once, and we'll get into that later. Uh, the Entertainment Weekly... Oh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, the Entertainment Weekly sent me a book that was the 100 Greatest Films of All Time is picked by them. Oh, I should have I should have been more prepared for this. Where's my book? There, over there, somewhere. He's Wait, looking... is this on the AFI list? No, it's on AFI list. Top 100? List. Yeah, it wasn't on the top 100. Uh, the first 100. I don't have my book. Oh, no, it's right here. I found it. Hey. Hooray! Anyway, Entertainment Weekly put it on their top 100 of all time. And uh, AFI should have, because, you know, things. I mm. guess that kind of gives away my uh, my feelings on this film. Um, they put it at number 88 of all time. Which okay. I think is a pretty good place for that. Um, and... Uh, I said, oh, this sounds interesting. The guy who did uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights and Dracula Dead is loving it. I'm going to check this out. Because I think I, m- I might have seen Young Frankenstein by that point. But uh, I definitely hadn't really gotten into his filmography. So so I went and I rented that. And uh rest of history, as they say. As they say. Shall we get into an Oscar breakdown? Break it down! Best story and screenplay written directly for the screen. Tired of complaining about it. The producers wins best story and screenplay for the screen, giving Mel Brooks an Academy Award. Mel Brooks, an EGOT winner. All right. Yeah. Let's 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 take a moment and talk about Mel Brooks' EGOT. Okay. List of awards and nominations. Okay. So, of course, he wins for this. Uh, it was his first nomination, his only win. Uh, his Emmy Awards, he was, I believe, his first, yeah, his first war award was for the Emmys for writing Outstanding Writing Achievement in Variety, uh, which he wins for the, the Sid Caesar, Imogene Coco, Carl Reiner, Howard Morris special. And then he goes and wins, uh, 30 years later, he wins three Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy, comedy Series Emmys for Mad About You. Uh, nice. If this was more of an Emmys podcast, I'd go into his many, many nominations, including one this year for Outstanding Character Voiceover Performance for History of the World Part 2. Nice. But, uh, I need to finish that. Me too. But uh, do yourself a favor and look up the list of awards and nominations received by Mel Brooks so that you can enjoy in how many of these things he's won. All right. So uh, in 1999, he wins... A Grammy Award for the 2,000-year-old man in 2000. Uh, and then in 2002, he wins Best Musical Theater Album for The Producers and Best Long-Form Music Video for Recording The Producers, a musical romp with Brooks. Which brings us to his Tonys. He won Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, and Best Original Score for The Producers in 2001. The man is prolific, and he can do everything. Everything he's wanted. He is possibly the funniest human being who's ever existed. Indeed, 100%. Um, uh, I'm going to leave some room for me to be wrong there, but there are very few, few people that are as funny as Mel Brooks. Okay, so that's our little Mel Brooks EGOT corner in the middle of our of our uh, Oscar break- breakdown. Uh, Mel Brooks, it's out. Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. 2001, A Spade Odyssey. Beats out Franco Salinas and Gio Pontecorvo for Battle of Algiers. 
John Cassavetes. Wow, that sucked. Uh, John Cassavetes for Faces, and Ira Wallach and Peter Ustinov for Hot Millions. Sweet millions. But we are not done because Gene Wilder nominated as Leo Bloom for Best Supporting Actor. He loses to Jack Alton for the subject was Roses. Highway robbery. Mm. But that's it. <clears throat> 50 percenter. Should be 100 percenter. Got made for more things. Cough, cough. Oh, God. Looking up at this bucket best picture category. It absolutely should be in here. <laughs> but that's our Oscar break. All right. Well, let's talk. Oh, God, man. It really should have been up there in best picture. It should have been up there. I'm, yeah, let's I'm talk not, about this. Movie. Not, not trying to show my hand on how much I love this movie. Yes, let's talk about this. <laughs> okay. Well, um, this is a great movie. What else do I need to say? It's one of the few times that you actually get to see a comedy film recognized and a well-deserved one. Gene Wilder is amazing. I love him. And I love Mel Brooks. And every day... I don't want to turn on the internet because I'm afraid it's that day. Mm. And I'm not ready for that day. Oh, God. When Carl Reiner went, that was bad enough. Oh, my God. I watched the whole movie the other day uh, when they all did the Princess Bride whole movie thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot what that's called. And when Carl Reiner is reading to Rob Reiner, fucking break down. You just fucking break down. That's (laughs) rough. Well, that was what they did that, that at the beginning of COVID or yeah, lockdown. Yep. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was so well done and very emotional. But uh, yeah, I fucking love this movie. I think at least once a week, I still, baby, <laughs> baby, <laughs> like, I baby. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is one of the five funniest movies ever made. It's so good. It's... If it's not, if it's not my number one, my number one's like it's a mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> like this movie's incredible. I've been sitting here kind of quietly because I got to be the the grouch on this one. Not hey, go not, for it. Not entirely, but so the the problem for me is I have a great respect for Mel Brooks, and I think he is absolutely one of the funniest people, but it was the same thing for the uh, Monty Python. For me, everybody told me how hilarious all his movies were before I ever saw them. I had uh, like Robin hood men in tights overquoted. This was overquoted. So when I finally sit down to watch them, it takes the zip out of it for me or something. I like, I don't know that I've ever actually laughed out loud at a Mel Brooks movie. And that makes me sad. I feel like I've had something taken from me and a lot of it's of my own fault, but so I saw this movie when I was in high school and I was like, that was, that was good. It's a good movie. I, I, sometimes I was looking at the film and I was like smirking at the side and looking at my eyes. Ah, I get it. Uh-huh. It's, it's funny. It, and it's very well written. Then I saw the, the 2005 version of it, which I actively disliked because mostly because of Matthew Broderick's performance. I, my, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> the big problem with the 2005 remake is that, I don't think Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane changed their performances at all from right. stage to screen, and that's a mistake. Yeah, I, I, that's like, what I kind of felt with it. And then watching this one again, I just realized how much you know he was trying. Uh, I can't say that I've, I haven't seen the stage versions, but um, <sighs> trying to recreate uh, Gene Wilder's performance so much is what it seemed to me. And I don't know. Anyway. I think this is a great film that, unfortunately, I haven't been able to enjoy or find as funny as other people have. My favorite parts are actually the play itself, the songs, stuff like that. The stuff surrounding it, I don't find as amusing. So that's where I'm at. As as a theater person, this fucking shit is so spot on. It's amazing. So I want to kind of put in my two cents on the 2005 version. So I saw the 2005 version first. Um, mm. and I love that movie. I really do. I love that play. So I think the producers works better as a musical. I think it can. I think the I, play is incredible. 
See, I've never got to see the play. So I've only gotten to see it as the film. That being said, I don't miss the music, but as the the original film goes, I'm playing the music in the back of my head. I, I just feel like it, it just it's made better. But or at least I don't want to say better is not definitely not the word. But that's your original experience yeah. with it. Exactly. Um I I have always liked Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. Uh but I will say after seeing the the initial film, it honestly feels like Matthew Broderick is trying to do his best Gene Wilder in this film instead of being his own character. And it's almost the same thing with Nathan. Yeah, and it's I don't I, I don't want to spend too much more of this episode talking sure, about sure. the differences. Right. I, I think it's a lot of like again, he's trying to be Gene Wilder, and it feels more like that because he's doing a stage performance on screen. Yeah. Uh, so he's really big in the movie. And that works when you see it in a stage setting because you got to play cheap seats and it, it just has a rhythm for the stage. And then when you see it on the screen, it, it feels too big. Mm-hmm. And when you see Gene Wilder in the film, he's got a couple of big moments, but he really builds to those. Yeah. And, and they're very character driven. So when, when he hits 10, he's, he's come from like three. Right. But Matthew Broderick's at 10 and then he tries to go to 15. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well. Sure. And, and I, like I said, I, I, I love the stage play. It, when, when you see it in that setting, it works 10 times better than it does on the screen. And, and I think zero Mustel is, is the perfect encapsulation of, of what I'm, looking at here because he is a stage actor. He is an incredible actor and he's, he is playing to the camera in this film, right? He, he knows exactly the decibel he needs to be at all times Mm -hmm. and he never drags. Right. I agree very much. I think the thing that I appreciate the most about this film is just, you know, the, the balls it takes to write a film like this and, um, you know, I know o- there's... only Mel Brooks can, I think. Like literally, <laughs> only know. like you put anybody else in Hollywood making this movie, and at, even at that time, it would not work. It would almost be distasteful. But then you go, yeah. Mel Brooks. Yep. Oh, yep. One hundred percent. Yeah. When, and when, when he's got when he's got one of the funniest fucking lines in the movie himself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and this being his first film that he. He wrote this script and said that, you know, oh, you know, I, I really think that I'm the only person who can really like figure out the tone of this film as a director. And I'll work for real fucking cheap to do that. Mm-hmm. So this being his first film, him coming from TV and pretty much only being a writer, it's it is a masterclass and just how to maximize jokes, because that whole opening sequence is just quip after line after like beat after just everything about it just keeps moving and is it everything builds on the last thing that happens and it is comedy i um i like how we go through you know the casting and everything and and all the choices that are you know being made to create the flop and how um adds up to make something funny and something that the audience is like what the hell and uh oh gosh this is the guy who they get the Getting to play Hitler. Oh, LSD. Yeah. Yeah. Like a uh, Dick Sean. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so many people I've seen like, oh, it looks like a, you know, Robin Williams wants to watch this and got a lot of inspiration. <laughs> right? Dude, I thought the same thing. <laughs> and it's, and it's very telling that, you know, uh, Mel Brooks is, Mel Brooks said his goal in life was to get people to laugh at Hitler. Mm hmm. Like, right to make Hitler yeah. the butt of every joke, and the fact that that's his goal in life, and this film shows specifically, like, if you can, if you can find the right tone, you can joke about anything. And him having a, a burnout hippie playing <laughs> playing Adolf Hitler, hilarious. Yeah, like that concept in itself is very funny. The fact that it's supposed to be offensive 
inside the world of this and people just like take on to it like the second he steps on stage all these people like are getting up to leave the theater and he starts talking they're like oh what's this that's right. kind of funny right i mean th- and <laughs> this is how you do it so far before people started complaining in no i mean people are complaining back then but if when you, people now yeah. want to complain about political correctness or whatever and you it's just like with Tropic Thunder and uh, you frame within the film, you have characters and situations that realize, oh, this is a, uh, it's kind of fucked up, but if we can frame it in a way that people realize that and laugh at it, then, then it's funny. You're not punching down. You're not glamorizing a, or making fun of anybody who suffered at the hands of this person. You're making right. fun of the person. Yep. There's, there's this quote here on the Wikipedia page. I'm sure you probably saw, or you've heard it. Um, mm-hmm. It's like if I get on a soapbox and wax eloqu- eloquently, I'll be it'll be blown away in the wind. But if I do springtime for Hitler, it'll never be forgotten. I think you can bring down totalitarian governments faster by using ridicule than you can with in- invective. So it's like, yeah, nobody'll ever forget springtime for Hitler. I mean, even as somebody who's not I like a huge fan of the film, I frequently have that song in my head. It's like yeah, frequently. It's so hard to have in your head. You want to sing it aloud, but people are going to look at you funny. I, Depending on where it, you are, I suppose. It, it's just, it's, it is just, this movie could come out today. Yeah. And it truly could if Mel Brooks did it. Yeah. I, I, I think there are some people that can, that can operate the correct tone for a film like this if it were to come out today. But it really takes someone with, that satirical edge that Mel Brooks just finds and he just toes the line of bad taste. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible. And you know, and after doing the best picture category and time after time reading like, Hey, all these Jewish producers in the thirties didn't want to offend the Nazis. So they, they took out express anti fascist sentiments so that they could sell films in Germany. And then you watch this film, you're like, yeah, here you go. Two Jewish guys come like saddling up to this Nazi so that they can, they can make a lot of money. It resonated so much deeper on this watch than it has. in since the first time I watched it, just trying to think of who could write a movie like this nowadays, you know, Seth Rogen's the closest I can think of. (laughs) Seth Rogen's a great example. I, th- I think he could do it. Yeah. I mean, the, the main thing I feel like for comedy like this is it needs to come from a place of your own, like f- personal experience, personal background, personal therapy. Like, you know, Mel yeah. Brooks, a, a Jewish man, he's writing this stuff and he's exercising so many demons and giving a big F you to people and that have harmed him and his, his people. It's like, yeah. And, but you know. at the same time, I've seen Mel Brooks like take on Christianity, mm-hmm. and I still laugh my ass off and go, "Yeah, he's doing that right." Yeah, like it's, yeah, I, yeah, he's a genius. Yeah, oh, I yeah, might, this... I might go on a Mel Brooks marathon. I was thinking of watching all the Mel Brooks films in the years that we're covering. <laughs> I started a Mel Brooks list on my on my letterbox and put the three that I have ranked that I have uh, rated. You know what movie I haven't seen and that hasn't really been talked about a lot to me and I probably should watch uh, when it comes up is High Anxiety. Oh, yes. I, I won't quote the shit out of it, but <laughs> I love I love High Anxiety. And I, I think I, I was going to make a point to watch it. I watched it last year and it it's still very good. Like, I think, you have you seen Silent Movie? That was uh, the film I was so worried about not liking <clears throat> and loved the shit out of. I feel like it's, I watched part of it, but I never finished it like back in high school or something. It's, so I need to... it's, it's Mel Brooks, Dom DeLuise, and Marty Feldman. Okay. Who's, who's Igor in uh, uh, Young, Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. And they're three guys trying to make a movie that's going to be a silent movie. And the movie that, they're, that Mel Brooks is making is also a silent movie. <laughs> it is genius slapstick comedy. It is absolutely marvelous good i i highly recommend those two films okay i'm i'm an apologist for dracula dead loving and i don't care <laughs> yeah i might need to give that one another go i, I watched that like a few months ago i, th- I still need to see is it the 12th chair oh 12 chairs yeah, yeah 12 chairs 
that's an interesting film. It really stands out in his filmography because it's a comedy, but it's not it's not like a big Mel Brooks comedy. Like you could tell Mel Brooks is trying to find himself as a filmmaker with that one. Like, uh, let's let's see what happens when I go this way. Sure. Uh, and it's it's funny, but it's funny in a completely different way that you would expect from Mel Brooks. Okay. It is probably the least Mel Brooksy film in his filmography. Okay. That are that are to be or not to be, which which is a, a remake of uh, the Ernst Lubitsch film, which is actually just a really good fucking movie. I also think this movie, um, you know, for the time, I think it has decent kind of you know queer representation. Without again, it's not really punching down. There's you know it's used comedically in a way, but not not in a. See, and this is one of those moments where when I was watching the film, I was I was watching the representation and. I was like, you know, the problem with this queer representation, because they make it very clear that he is a gay man, like they don't hide this. The problem with it is that you're just not seeing that much queer representation at the time. So Mm. I'm sure it feels like it's it's punching down in a way. But like when I watch this, I, I just think. The, it's just this character. They're not saying like right. gay men are like this. Like this, yeah. this one gay character just happens to be this person, right? Yeah, and like his his homosexuality is never the butt of the joke. Right. It's just that he is a weird flamboyant human being, and he just happens to be gay. Yeah. Now, if if somebody does want, if somebody does take offense to this, I'm not going to sit there and you know be like you're wrong. But that is my take on. Yeah. Oh, and then there's uh, another one of those films. Yeah, I'm 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 looking at the cast list, and I just want to go. Kenneth Mars in this movie is one of the funniest screen performances of all time. (laughs) That man is incredible, and I just do not think Will Ferrell touches him. No, but Will Ferrell's version is one of the few. Like, God damn it, Will Ferrell's one of those people. I only like him when he's not the lead. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm much the same way. Where I'm like, mm. and and even then, there's there's still some exceptions. Yeah, um, but but Kenneth Mars is such a cartoon character in this yes. movie, and like the second he steps on he steps on screen, he's he's like, I was never a member of the Nazi party. Why are you interrogating me? <laughs> I'm just yeah. he's so locked into this performance. <laughs> That and you know when you go into his apartment and see the Hitler picture on the wall and where he starts really getting honest and open about why he wrote this and that was very good writing, yeah, <laughs> and and awesome performance by him, yeah. Just well, you call him a uh, cartoon character when most of his resume is voiceover work. Yeah, King Triton. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Zach just learned something. Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't know that. He's in basically every land before time as somebody different each time. (laughs) (laughs) Then he's in Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein's such a good movie. Oh my god, I could just I could just sit here and talk Mel Brooks films all day. Yes, absolutely. I sit here and just watch Mel Brooks films. The fact that they are so funny still, no matter how many times you rewatch his films as a kid, I. I cannot even come close to the amount of times that I saw uh, Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. Like, and Men, <sighs> Men in Tights yeah. is one of those ones that I saw the trailer for it, and I was like, "This looks like exactly the movie I want to be watching." It, it, it came like, out at the exact time that I was going to enjoy it, and then yeah. it it is still just I I've rewatched it since then many times as an adult and. It's still equally as funny. And I, re- I remember walking through the video rental store on Fort Eustis when I was a kid. And every time we'd go in there, I'd ask my parents if I could rent space balls. But I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's like, but it looks like a Star Wars movie. Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was allowed to watch space balls as a kid. I was basically given carte blanche on Mel, uh, Mel Brooks movies, which yeah. there's a couple of them where it's like, eh, maybe probably wouldn't have been a great idea. Yeah, but, I blame I blame my parents fully for not letting me watch space balls and men in tights when I was younger, because I, I know they would have hit me yeah, in, in the way yeah. that I would have liked. 
if if you would have discovered him on your own, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, because that's kind of how most of his films fell into my lap. Where my my parents let me rent Men in Tights when it finally came out on VHS, and mm-hmm. I I can remember sitting in my grandparents' basement during a Christmas break one time, and I watched that movie like four times. <laughs> it yeah. was it it was everything in my life at that moment because. Because I had I had also already seen the uh, the Kevin Costner movie. Oh, when when I was young, because mm-hmm. I don't know why I got to watch that, but <laughs> I had watched it. I remember like we we used to watch it in my cousin's basement in in Illinois because the scene where the the witch is like creating her little brew in that film is really gross. <laughs> and be like, ooh, watch this scene. <laughs> So like I got most of the jokes. Like it was it was it was one of those moments I watched it. I was like, you can do this in a movie. <laughs> you can just make fun of another movie. Unlike other Robin Hoods, I could speak in a British accent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh that's right. awesome. I'm see, I there there's weird things in life. I don't have a lot of jealousy in my life, but sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I you know, had a cousin with a basement or something. <laughs> that sounds weird out of context, but wow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, good, good stuff. Indeed. I won't make the same mistake with my children. Yes. I'll, I'll leave, yeah. I'll <laughs> leave Robin Hood, man and tights laying around somewhere. And, no, I can find it on their own. Yeah. Hey gents, uh, uh, any additional notes on the producers? Yo, Gene Wilder is hot as fuck in this Fucking movie. Gene Wilder is just... Yeah, yeah, man. Stick him in the Calvin Klein commercial. Yes. <laughs> yes, he can He could be my bear. Oh, God, Which yeah, good for, I saw that. Yeah. Good, for, good for Jeremy Allen White getting that Golden Globe and getting that Calvin Klein ad in the same week. Yeah, yeah. man. Cheers to him. He, he seems so humble about it, too. That's, that, that's what's so awesome, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, he just... He just Strikes me as that kind of guy that was a little goofy looking in high school. So now he doesn't mm-hmm. understand how like hot women find him. Right. It's like, yeah, man, just go be good on the bear and women are going to find you hot and then go get <laughs> ripped as fuck for the, for the iron claw. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good. Paul, uh, let's talk about the film archive. All right. Do we think this is in the national film registry and what year did it get in? If you think it got in. Sadly, I don't think it is. I think it is, and I'm going to say 1997 for its 30th anniversary. Well, I'm sad to say, Zach, you did not win the prices right. What? We got it. But it's 1996. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn it! I'm I have a bad history of missing it by a year or two. So, it it's technically a 1967 film because it got a premiere in November. Apparently in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Pittsburgh <laughs> of all places. <laughs> okay. Have to do with the funding or something or the controversial release and whatnot. I don't know. I yeah, something. So um so it gets an official release in March eight on March eighteenth of nineteen sixty eight. So this is technically a nineteen sixty eight film, which is why it's mm. available. It is eligible for the Oscars. Let's see it. Gotcha. According to Brooks, after the film was completed, embassy executives refused to release it as being in bad taste. The film's premiere in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on November 22nd, 1967 was a disaster and the studio <laughs> considered shelving it. However, relief came when Pink Panther star Peter Sellers saw the film privately and placed an advertisement in Variety in support of the film's wide release. <laughs> oh, nice. <shit>. That's amazing. <laughs> Sellers was familiar with the film because, according to Brooks, Sellers had, quote, accepted the role of Bloom and then never heard from again, (laughs) end quote. The film was allegedly banned in Germany. Oh, yeah, I heard about this because it's illegal to show to have any Nazi paraphernalia in Germany. Um, And so uh, it took a while for this film to reach Germany. and it only it only reached Germany because it got included in some like the films of Jewish writers and directors, <laughs> and they included it. Nice, very nice. All right, so yeah, uh, it is in. It got in in 1996. Technically, in there for 1967. 
but we covered that with uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mm-hmm. So some notable films that are in are Category Loser, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which got in in 1991. Uh, Bullet, one of the greatest car chases of all time, going yes. to 2007. Uh, Best Actress uh, winner, Funny Girl, which went in 2016. We'll do uh, Night of the Living Dead, which got in in 1999. Mm. Uh, And uh, two of my all-time favorite films, my favorite Western, Once Upon a Time in the West, which Mm. came out in 2009. And uh, the greatest film of all time, Planet of the Apes, went in 2001. Excellent. Got plenty of years. Look up it. Yeah, what a year. Rosemary's Baby comes out this year, too. Hmm. Like, all these films that I just listed, and the best picture category is Oliver, Funny Girl, The Lion and Winter, Rachel, Rachel, and Romeo and Juliet, the Franco Zeffirelli one. Yeah. Like Weak sauce. Like, Funny Girl is a really good movie. I like Oliver a lot, but mm-hmm. I just don't think either of them I'd take them and Lion and Winter and Romeo and Juliet out of this category. It'd be a completely different category. Yeah. I haven't seen yeah. Rachel Rachel, but Paul Newman produced it and I love him. So mm-hmm. I'm going to let him keep his nomination. Pants. Pants. Zach, have you seen the Hudsucker Proxy? Yes, I have. Okay. Okay. I don't want to overquote the Hudsucker uh, Proxy to you yet. <laughs> Good. I've seen <laughs> everything Coen Brothers so far. Good. Because it's a great movie, you know, for kids. For the kids. For kids. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, let's get into our worsty judgments. And Zach. Howdy. Did this movie deserve best original screenplay? Hmm. A good question. I've seen two others in this category. I watched Faces for the first time uh, this week. That is an incredible example of early American independent film. And I was a big fan. I I thought it was extremely well-written. The acting is sensational. Um, I'd probably say it's a better film overall if you're like, whatever. Uh, But, and then 2001 A Space Odyssey, I'm a huge fan and I'll apologize or be apologetically a fan of that forever. But I don't think screenplay is like the strength of it. So I'm going to say the producers absolutely deserved it. I'm glad that they recognized it for um, a well-written comedy that's smart. And yeah, definitely deserved it. All right. Uh, I'm going to agree with some of you on what you said. I do think this movie absolutely deserves best original screenplay. Uh, The only other film that I've seen is 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I think is boring as fuck. But, you know, and that's not just to, you know, make fun of Zach and his terrible love of Kubrick. <laughs> I know tons of people undeserve it. Fucking love. Yeah. But I love you and I don't deserve I you. What? You don't deserve what? I don't I don't deserve your love. Absolutely. You do. Look well, at I you. deserve it Look more than Kubrick deserves anything. Sure. <laughs> I can agree with that. I'll place a kiss right on your forehead. And look at that. I've been kissed by a Zach on my head. <laughs> so that, like I said, uh, yeah, absolutely. This movie does deserve best original screenplay. Paul, mm-hmm. does the producers deserve best original screenplay? I'm going to answer this by doing an interpolation of a Mel Brooks song from one of his best films. Uh, any of them. Uh, World War I. And that interpolation goes... Yes, 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 yes. I'm doing an interpolation. You don't shake your head at me. I know it by heart. I know you do. That's why I made sure to tell you that it was an interpolation. Uh Yeah, this film rules. It is so good. And I, anytime I watch it, I make sure to, I make sure to space out my that I'm not one of those. Like, I need to watch it every year kind of things. I, I watch it probably every five or six years. So that way, every every five or six years, I laugh like it's the first time. And I hear lines that I forgot existed. And it mm-hmm. some things will still take me by surprise. And, it, like, Zero Mistel just has so many 
great quotable lines in this film that when I hear one of them, how, how did I forget that that was a line? Because that's an incredible line. But then, of course, there's the ones I always remember. I'm wearing a cardboard belt. <laughs> oh, God. I love this film. It's, it, it is an amazing piece of comedy writing. And Mel Brooks absolutely deserves this to be his second of his gun. All right. Well, Zach, is this the worst best original screenplay? No. Um, and I've, uh, you know, like I've said, I fully recognize this is much funnier than I personally find it just because of my personal experience. If, if I were rating it like solely on my experience, it'd probably be a four star movie for me, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it at four and a half because I know it's better than that and it deserves more respect than that. Um, so I'm going to bump it, uh, to my number 11. So my number 11 on my list. And there we go. All right. What do you think, Jonathan? Uh, it's my number one. Oh my! Well, here you go. This is the first movie since Citizen Kane that I can promise you I will watch multiple times <laughs> on purpose and more than Citizen Kane. And I love Citizen Kane as a film. Yeah, probably better. But this is my goddamn list, and I love the producers. I love Mel Brooks. So, yes, good reason. This is my number one. Nice, Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this the worst uh, best original screenplay? No, um, it's my number one. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I fucking love this movie. I, I, you know, it's it's one of those. I know I'll I'll get my movie nerd card taken away for putting this above Sunset Boulevard and Citizen Kane and on the waterfront. Fuck it, I don't care. This movie makes me laugh so hard, and it it's so good. It is such a good piece of writing, and I can't state that enough. And I know I've said it too many times already, but it there is not a second I watch this film where I am not the most entertained I've ever been. And I I can't wait for another five years when I rewatch this film. It may be maybe with my kids, because they'll be old enough to be able to watch a film like this at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and and hopefully appreciate it. But it it's funny. It's funny. It it toes the line of bad taste so perfectly. Like it it really goes up to the line and just stares at bad taste in the face <laughs> and says, "You know, I'm not going to completely go there, but I'm going to let you know that I can." Yeah. Yeah. I won't, but I can. And it's such a pitch perfect satire of the entertainment industry, of theater culture, of just sensibilities in America. Like it this this is a perfect movie. And it's agreed. And it's probably tied like with five other Mel Brooks films as my favorite Mel Brooks movie. Absolutely. Well good. I'm glad I'm glad you guys love this movie so much. I am a little yeah. surprised that it was number one, but pleasantly surprised. You there know, you it it was one of those things when I was when I was going to mark it down, I was like, am I really gonna put this as a number one? And I and I I doubted myself for a second and I went, no, of course I'm gonna put it at number one. It's Mel Brooks. <laughs> Didn't even question it. I looked I, at Citizen Kane and I went, citizen shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I just listened to a great podcast episode on Sunset Boulevard the other day, and it, it made me realize how how deeply I just love that movie. Mm-hmm. And and how how justified I felt putting it at number one. And then I went to watch this, and within five minutes, I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to put this in a run <laughs> It's wonderful. I love this movie. Indeed. All right. Well, I think that is where we are going to call it this evening. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on the Twitter, Twitch, TikToks, and on the Letterbox at Altorn underscore Occam. Uh, this past week, I kind of needed to take a comfort movie break. Like, I just Ooh. needed to just watch what I love. So I went through, uh, oh, sir, (laughs) I did all of the modern Godzilla movies, including finally watching Kong Skull Island. Oh, I don't know why I've been not watching that. Holy shit. I need to get you Monarch. I need to get you Uh, the whole series of Monarch because it's it's, it's done now. Uh, Nice. Yep. So I need that. Anders Holm from, um, from Workaholics. Okay. The, the third guy, not 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 the crazy hair guy, and not uh, not what's yep, his name. Yep. Okay, I know exactly who you're talking about. Not he Adam played. Devine. 
Yeah, Adam Devine. That's uh, the Anders Holm. He's the third guy. He yeah. uh, he plays young John Goodman. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. And, yeah, I'm I'm about that. Um, I also uh, yesterday or over the weekend watched uh, Lord of the Rings extended versions. Nice, Ooh, nice. Those, you know, that's just man. I know I bitch about long movies. Those don't feel long at all. And I've really watched don't. it so many fucking times. And I was so pissed off at my, myself because I had a meeting this morning with my boss's 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 boss. <laughs> and I had just got finished hearing the line, you bow to no one. And I was a fucking blubbering baby. went <laughs> 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 on my team's meeting immediately after. So that was fun. Beautiful. Uh, so, yeah. And I think this week I'll be watching uh, some Planet of the Apes. So, and then after that, I think I'll be ready to branch into 2024 and start watching some stuff. But beautiful, we'll see. So, Zach, where Hello. can we find you? Find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X A K K M A S T E R, TikTok, House Havoc, Letterbox by searching my name. Um, we uh, since we've recorded, we watched uh, Song of the Sea with the boys. Uh, lovely experience watching with the family the boys uh enjoyed it deeply and i think some of the messages are getting through um eldest got a vr headset for christmas thanks to the grandparents so we uh watched ready player one you know which they're right at the perfect age to enjoy that movie so that was a lot of fun i think Trav will be glad to hear that yeah tonight we started watching iron man because they're like oh we want to watch the marvel movies and we were talking about doing the same thing over here there you go. Because yeah. uh, the boys really wanted to watch What If Season 2, and they loved it. Nice. But we had to do a lot of like explaining nice. backstory. And I was like, you know what? We need to watch the Marvel movies. Like, yeah. They get bad. They get bad pretty fast. But <laughs> for, they're, 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 the bad ones are kind of spread out in the beginning. So, <clears throat> yeah. And like yeah. Even, even the worst of like Phase 1 are still like... B minus films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and they're, you know, so big into Spider-Man and everything right now. And I, you know, yeah, I know you have mixed feelings, they're not a big fan of Tom Holland, but um, I think they're going to enjoy those films and stuff. So I like, yeah, Tom we, Holland. we watched all the, we watched all the Spider-Man films when the, well, the newest one came out. Like we watched all the Spider-Man films. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. The boys oh, liked up. Without the kids, uh, the wife and I started rewatching Attack on Titan because we were going to watch the end of it, and they're like, "We can't remember all the details of stuff." <laughs> so I remember it well enough to go into it, but uh, you know, we're rewatching things, picking up on little details. So it was a good decision to do. So we'll that's get there a, and then my, finish uh, that. To watch list. It's it's. I'm not going to overhype it because I don't like that. So, you know, but I think it's every bit as good as people say. So nice. Yeah, Mr. Workman. Uh. You can follow me at Father the Fear on Instagram and Letterboxd, where I keep running tally of all the films I watch. I've watched a lot of stuff, but I'm going to keep it to what I've watched pretty much in the past, apparently like five days. <laughs> um, so trying to trying to get in as many of the uh, the nominees for the Independent Spirit Awards as I can, because I don't know if I talked about this on here i spent a hundred dollars and yeah i'm a vote i'm a voting member of the independent spirit awards i might have i might have said that on the last episode it's been a, it's been a while since we i'm recorded. not sure yeah. if i heard you uh mention that before yeah so so i'm trying to get into that so i watched all of us strangers mm. which was good it's really interesting um it, it's very good at tone and mood and um it's a much like a lot of stuff that i enjoyed in 2023 very melancholy okay um, uh, is that the one we uh, talked about a little bit with, uh, who's in that Adams, uh, Andrew, Andrew Scott, Andrew Scott, yeah. who is, uh, Moriarty, yeah, right, the, right, right. the Bumblebat Sherlock, Sherlock. <clears throat> yeah, the Sherlock series and, um, Paul Mescal, who is, who was the father in, oh shit, the name of that movie just dropped out of my head. Somebody will, will remind me, I'm sure. Hmm. It'll come to me later. Um, the one about the the father and the daughter on like right, the right. the vacation. Um, 
And then Claire Foy and Jamie Bell are also in it. It's it's a very interesting film. All right. I watched four 2024 films in two days. No, five. Sorry, five. Because I went to the... I woke up uh, on a Saturday morning and I was like, I'm going to watch movies today. I'm going to do chores around my house and I'm going to watch these brand new streamer movies. So I watched Self-Reliance on Hulu, a new movie starring and directed by Jake Johnson from New Girl and the Spider-Verse films. He is Peter B. Parker. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was fine. When it when it got weird and, and funny, I really enjoyed it, but for the most part, it was just okay. Uh, I watched the new Kaylee Cuoco starring and produced role play with David Oyelowo. Um, not as good. It was a film that about 15 minutes into it, I was like, this is going to be the most forgettable film I see this year. Mm. And good thing it came out in January. So at least I have an excuse of why when I hit September and I'm looking back at the hundred plus movies I've watched, I can go, Oh yeah. Yeah. That one. Mm. Um, honestly, skip it. It's like how almost every review that I'm reading on is like Bill Nye. He was in it. Yeah, he's in it. He's in it like, for about ten minutes, and he he steals the entire movie. And then when he's gone, it's, it's very much the uh, "Where's Bill Nighy?" effect. <laughs> <laughs> and a yellow was doing. Guy? Bring him back. Yeah, a yellow was doing his best, but he's very underserved in the script. Uh, we saw the new James Samuel film, uh, "Book of Clarence." It uh, it was a really interesting take on the 50s and 60s sword and sandals epic oh okay i don't like it as much as i like the harder they fall i i wish it was stronger in execution or at least i wish it was as wild and chaotic as the harder they fall was that film is all chaos Hmm. uh went saw the mean girls musical i had a fun time i didn't even know that was a thing Hmm. yeah so they, they made a musical on stage and uh, Tina Fey wrote that again and her husband, Jeff Richmond, who does the music for like 30 Rock and most shows that she produces, uh, Jeff Richmond did the, did the music for it. And honestly, I think the music is the weakest part of the movie. Mm. And when the, song, when the songs are fun and catchy, they're fun and catchy, but not all of them are. Like a lot of them just kind of are fine. But yeah. it's very well directed. It's very colorful, and uh, a lot. Aluie Corvallo, I can never pronounce her name right. I always feel like a piece of shit for doing it. I need to listen to somebody say it over and over again. Anyway, Moana uh, about to plays say. the <laughs> plays the um, the the friend from the original one. That's uh, what's her name from Masters of Sex and Party Down. Yeah. Uh. <sighs> Man, blank. my brain, my, my brain, brain right now. Blank and blank. Anyway, she plays that character, and she she owns the entire movie. There, everybody else is just trying to catch up to her. She's incredible, and how she is not the biggest star in Hollywood right now, baffling. She mm. she needs to be in everything. Cast this girl in literally everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then last night, me and Joe went and saw The Beekeeper. Sorry, Jason Statham. <laughs> that movie is very stupid. Very, very stupid. But like the, the stupid you expect it to be, right? Exactly the stupid you expect it to be. It's uh, David Ayer, who is the director of um, Suicide Squad, is the one thing I can think of right now. I, I mostly think of him as a writer, and he wrote, a, oh, you know what film he directed? Fury. Brad Pitt tank movie. Oh, oh okay. <clears throat> and bright. Um, bright. <laughs> yeah, he did bright. Um, yeah, it, it's him. And he is a bad writer. Like he wrote training day and training day's fine, but he's been trying to like recapture that training day feel for the rest of his career. And he's just, he just can't find it. And this film is the worst dialogue you've ever heard. And if it wasn't for Jeremy Irons being Jeremy Irons, I think this movie just totally gets thrown in the trash. But like Jeremy Irons gives it such a pathos that the rest of the movie just feels so weird around him. 
Nice. See this movie. Honestly, watch this stupid fucking movie. It's <laughs> it's it's kind of the best. <laughs> For some reason, I I clearly know who they're different, but whenever I see David Ayer's name, I, I think it's David Lowry, like Lowry, you know, the, oh, like no, the Green yeah, Knight. Way one. different. I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a movie he would do. <laughs> I feel like David Lowry could do uh, a beekeeper, but I don't think David Ayer could do the Green Knight. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I watched. And when I went over to my parents yesterday, uh, they were watching Jurassic Park when I walked in, and that's always a good time. It's Jurassic Park. I fucking love that movie. Absolutely. (laughs) I saw your review of Jurassic (laughs) Park, and I'm like, fuck, you just now doing this? (laughs) This is my my second time I've logged it. I'm I'm definitely in one of those watch franchise uh, moves lately, so that might be after Planet of the Apes. Just go through those. There's a there's a Jurassic World or two that I haven't seen. So, there. Oh, while you're watching Jurassic World, watch uh, Camp Cretaceous. Ooh, good call. Good call. It. I'm I'm telling you, Camp Cretaceous is the best Jurassic Park sequel. Okay. Full stop. Like. All right. That, and you can watch it with the kids. It's phenomenal. Awesome. All right. Like, like the the first season's one of those one of those kids show kind of first seasons where where it's it's real kind of goofy to just kind of like lure children in to watch it. And then the more the show goes on, the more it's like dealing with like <laughs> deeper themes and shit. It's so <laughs> wild. It's such like a good Rebels show. Does that so hard? Yeah, Reb. It it is it is. The Jurassic Park version of Rebels. It okay. It I'm telling you, by the end of the first season, they make you think they kill a kid. It's <laughs> fucking. It's wild. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Zach. What are we watching next week? Oh yeah, next week we're watching Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which you can rent on Amazon, Google, or Vudu. You're always so excited. I like being excited. I love movies, guys. Movies are pretty swell. Yeah, a good thing we do a movie podcast, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Man, I I might need to try to watch these two films in this category. I haven't watched this week, but that might not happen. Hmm. I'm gonna try my best. Give me the old college try. The old college try. All right. Well, and with that, we'd like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Oscars the Pod and on Facebook at the Oscars the Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the all-mighty algorithm. Yeah, the almighty algorithm. And, you know, if you give us those five stars, just like Paul and Jonathan did for this film, and if you like what we're doing, give us five stars and send us a checkie. Checkie. Don't be stupid. Be a smarty. Come and join the Oscar party. (laughs) (laughs) Which I need to get on that. Uh, So, for Jonathan and Zach and Baby, we would like for you all to have a damn fine day.